Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Rodney in Richardson. How are you doing today, Rodney? I'm doing okay. How about yourself, Jim? Man, I'm doing great. Go oh, super. Uh, listen, I have a question. We have uh, a little contract with uh, AC Heating, and they come out and run through our system for a maintenance program. And I guess they were mentioning about a little fungus mold and mildew in our AC system, and they're asking if we'd be interested in some sort of UV light setup, hookup system, control mold and mildew. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is why are you getting a, a little mold and mildew in there? Because that typically um, indicates that the airflow is not going properly. Okay. Um, uh, what do I need to do to make the uh, airflow a little better? Then it's a new system. It's about a year and a half old. Okay. And well, so, that, uh, that would be something that they would normally have to do is is adjust the airflow. You know, a lot of times people don't realize, but some of these systems. The fan, even though you got a single-speed fan, can be wired a little bit different. You know, you can pull the wire off this clip, plug it onto this clip, and actually adjust the fan speed a little bit. And normally what causes mold and mildew in these AC systems is that, that there's not enough airflow going across, and it allows too much humidity to build up, and that's where we start getting the issue. Okay. So uh, readjust our, I talked to him about readjusting the fan instead of the UV light system to control mold and mildew. Yeah, well, and and I'm just saying that about the mold and mildew. I I will tell you, I do like the UV systems. I mean, they do kill molds and mildews and bacterias and different things that pass through there. So it's not that it's a useless system. Uh, It's just... uh, I kind of suspect what they're saying is, hey, let's avoid having this problem by putting this UV light in. I don't know that you actually have a mold mildew issue in your system. That's, oh, okay. a, that's a very common technique that they use to try to upsell the UV lights. I figured that's why I'm calling you. Yeah. It's, for, for 99% of us, it's not something we need in our systems, but... Like I said, it, it does it does kill the bacterias and things like that. And I know people are becoming a lot more conscious of these things nowadays than, than we've been in in many, many years. But uh, for most of us, it's, it's really not something we need. What's uh, the price range of the uh, UV systems usually that are set up? To have one installed? Yes. You know, i got to be honest, I, I'm... I don't know what the price range is. So that one I couldn't help you out with. The thing is we need to get that airflow going through there. If if they're telling you you got mold and mildew in there, they need to check the airflow and get that taken care of. Hello, Mary Ann. Welcome to KTRH. How can I help you? Thank you. Uh, About eight years ago in Texas City, we bought a house with a two-car attached garage. And far back on the property is a single-car garage. Uh, that is um, <clears throat> wooden, not brick. And it had a, um, we noticed a whirly gig like on the top of the roof of it. And uh-huh. the odd thing was it was in the middle and then there was a hole in the roof of the garage inside. 
And uh, when we went to get new roofing, they said that wasn't doing any good at all, so they took that off and re-roofed the thing. It doesn't have a gable. It has like a slanted roof. It's a one-car garage. My okay. husband uses it for a workshop and to store a 1920-something Model T. The problem we've had with it is ventilation. <clears throat> it uh, mildews. Yeah. And it does have two windows. Um, I was thinking maybe they didn't put... Uh, look, I think it's homemade, to tell you the truth, and I don't think they used a vapor barrier. But we have to open the windows a little bit, and we had some of those bags that absorb. And then now he's put in um, some kind of mobile fan thing that absorbs it. But I was wondering if there's anything that we can do to correct that. When they took the uh, whirly bird out, did they put a ridge vent in or anything for ventilation? I think that's what they did. Uh-huh. I think okay. that's what they did. It, it doesn't have a peak at the top. It's kind of a slanted, so I don't know where they would have put it, but I did hear them say something uh, about that. Yeah. Well, it, the slant from one side all the way across to the other? Yes, just very slightly. Yeah, then it does not have any ventilation up there right now, then. I because heard them say something about a ridge vent, but I, I don't yeah, know where they would have put it, you know. Yeah, you've you got to have a, a ridge in, or, in order to do that. So mm -hmm. uh, my guess is they left it without any ventilation. And, you know, the the roof is only one half of it. you got to have an intake as well so they would have had to have some type of openings in the bottom for air to come in and then for air to go out honestly mm -hmm. would would do you have electricity out there yes i'll tell you what i would be looking at putting in is a dehumidifier i believe okay we there i think that's what my husband it's a mobile you know portable and that's what right. he has running all the time out there yep but and i don't know <clears throat> go ahead that that should take care of the humidity issues in there. Okay. Well, it has helped. But I was just wondering if there was something more permanent than this portable dehumidifier. Yeah. No, the the, the portable dehumidifier is, is actually a, a good permanent way to do it. And, uh, you know, if you got a lot of groundwater that's coming up through the, the concrete and stuff, that will really run the, the humidity levels up. But... At that, if you're going to use the dehumidifier, close the windows and everything, seal it up, and, and let that take the moisture out. But you've got to have some place for that moisture to, to drain off to as well. Okay. I'm not sure. I think he may have something I can check that. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help. You bet. Take care. Thank you. Oh, dehumidifiers work extremely well. Now, you know, I guess what the other thing I should have said is make sure you got one big enough for the square footage of the shop because they do make different sizes for taking out, you know, for different square foot buildings. Hello, Kim. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. How about you? I'm doing good. I have a quick question for you. I am going to put a pool in my backyard, and I... And just having the dickens of a time trying to figure out if I want to put in a fiberglass or if I want to put in a gunite pool. What is your recommendation? Are you ever going to sell the house? I don't plan to. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why I asked that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a fiberglass pool. They actually are easier to take care of. Um, you know, the... the the chemicals and everything else are, are usually easier in, in a fiberglass pool than in a gunite pool. However, you have a little bit of a stigma when it comes to a fiberglass pool. When you go to sell a house, 
people are willing look at a fiberglass pool as being less in, you know, a lesser or an inferior product as compared to a gunite pool. Uh-huh. So, that, mm. but I personally have absolutely nothing bad to say about a, a, a fiberglass pool. Okay, well, I have gotten three bids for gunite, and then I've had this wonderful uh, company come out and talk to me about a fiberglass pool. And I, I thought a fiberglass pool would be least ex- uh, the least expensive option, but actually, Jim, it's, it's not. not. No, it's not. So I, I, I just wanted to know what your opinion was. You know, truthfully, if I was going to build one myself, uh-huh. a swimming pool, I would be looking at the cost as well. And if I can get the gunite for less, I would be going with a gunite pool. Even though it's easier to care for a fiberglass? Yes. Can you tell me your reason? Uh, No other reason than the fact that, one, my upfront cost is going to be a little bit less. And if I ever go to sell the house... Uh, uh-huh. It's easier to sell gunite than it is fiberglass. Okay. All right. That's well, it. I certainly appreciate your help. But Thank you. I, 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 uh-huh. Again, I wouldn't have any issues with having a fiberglass pool, though. They are they are easier to maintain and, and everything. Okay. You don't think it would pop out of the ground in a drought or in, in when it's uh, really wet? Only if you drain it. And so will a gunite uh. pool. The concrete one would do the same thing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Only I, if it's empty. Okay. Only, yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, my parents had a house that they sold that had a, a gunite pool in it. And the people decided they weren't using it enough, so they were going to drain it. I drove by okay. that house one time, and it was sticking three feet up out of the ground because they floated it. Oh, no. It. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, I've just been in a quandary, and haven't decided what to do. I don't want to make a. I don't want to make well, a poor decision. I've never owned a pool before. You know, here's the big thing you have to look at. How are they going to get everything in? Uh-huh. Uh huh. When you're in a regular neighborhood, and this this uh, can be part of the cost difference on the gunite versus uh, fiberglass. If they don't have room to take the pool between the houses and stuff, they actually lift them up. Uh, on a fiberglass one and set it down over the house and where a gunite pool they just got to get a little tractor in the back dig the hole with both pools they do that but then there everything else comes in in hoses to to shoot the gunite and all that so that that can be a a bit of the difference in the cost possibly okay all right right. thank you kim good luck with that this came in from diane in richmond Is it possible to remodel an attached garage into an insulated playroom? Houston is both hot and humid, so we would need cooling system. Thank you. I saw this idea on the new HGTV house in South Carolina and thought it might work. Well, absolutely, you can turn the garage into living space and heat and cool it. You may have to open up sheetrock in order to add insulation or... There are foam systems that you can have added where they just drill a hole and inject the foam insulation into it. And at that, they wouldn't have to tear the whole walls up. In fact, they can do that from outside as well. So to answer your question, absolutely you can. Now, 
Here's the downside that you get, or I shouldn't say downside. Here's one of the things you have to deal with, though, when you do a garage conversion that way. Garages are built on a slope so that water that is on your car when you pull in runs out away from the home. So in order to make the floor flat, you got one of two choices. You can fill it in with concrete. Once you do that, you're not going to convert that room back into garage ever. Or you can rip boards and fill it with wood, and that way it can be turned back into a garage should that desire ever come. Now, when you rip boards, you're basically cutting them on a wedge shape, and then you put plywood on top, and that becomes your new subfloor. So, yes, it can be done, and you know, quite frankly, it's not all that expensive typically to convert a garage that way, and it gives you a pretty good-sized room as well. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Comes from Candace, and she says, Love your show. I was wondering if there is any paint or product I could paint over metal shower door trim and frame, etc., to give an updated look and what, and that would last for a few years. Trying to give a bathroom a lift without complete remodel at this time. Thank you for the help. Well, Candace, you can paint the metal, but I'm going to be honest with you. A couple years is about all you would get because it will scratch up. You know, the shower door is open and closed. People are bumping into it. Uh, and it, it, it's just not going to stick real well, so it, it'll tend to peel. In order to do it, you got to make sure you got all the soaps coming everything off. It's got to be totally clean. And I know you're talking typically on the outside part but honestly if you're going to try to paint the metal like that you're going to be painting inside and out so it's got to be totally clean totally dry and then you got to cover everything in that bathroom up because you're going to spray this and it's going to make a cloud of paint that's going to settle on everything and yes it will make a mess so can it be done absolutely is it easy no, it's kind of a messy job, but it would buy you a few years of being able to not have to change it out. We'll put it that way. Mark in League City, how can I help you? Uh, good afternoon. Yeah, I've got a detached garage. It's 400 square feet, so it's 20 foot by 20 foot. And um, in the summer, of course, it gets really hot on the inside so that when I get home, I'll crack open the door by about a foot to let it air out, and that seems to help. I was thinking about doing the following as far as venting, and I'd like to know your opinion, please. I was thinking about putting um, a couple of louvered vents uh, in the garage, one on the lower left door okay. and one on the lower right, and then on the far side of the garage in the soffits, putting about two or three vents up there, hopefully trying to get a draft pulling through. Would you think that would help at all? Is that a good idea, a bad idea? Well, it, it would probably help, but let me ask you a quick question. What do you have on the walls? Anything? Oh, good question. Yeah, it's uh, unfinished on the inside, so my studs and, studs and joists are exposed. Okay. Here's what I would do then, if it, really, to get some good air movement in there, is I'd put the, the vents like you were talking about, but put a solar-powered okay. fan in. That solar-powered solar fan, yeah, 
because uh, it doesn't cost you anything on electricity. They're not real expensive to buy, and it'll move a ton of air that will uh, ventilate that thing really good for you. And the fan itself, would I vent through what the, the side up high? You can, or you can put it either what? through the side or through the roof. Probably the roof would be the easiest. I am getting polyurethane foam injected under my slab next week. Should have gotten your opinion sooner. The 40-year-old slab has been propped up outside, but the middle has sunken two inches in a 40-foot span. Okay. First, he says uh, seven pounds, I believe, is a good price. Seven dollars per pound for the polyurethane. Uh, is the price reasonable, and is foam a good solution? I know it's not a permanent, but I really don't like patches in the slab. I've seen their deterioration after 10 years. Please. Okay. Look, you don't polyurethane a residential foundation. Period. End of discussion. And the reason for that, yes, granted, you're putting it right back on the active soils, but it doesn't have the controllability of a pier. And by putting it right back on the active soils, you're still going to be having movement. It doesn't solve anything. That is old school technology. You know, we used to mud pump slabs all the time as well. Polyurethane is just a different material in order to do a mud pumping type situation. And understand, I have a mud pump machine, I have a polyurethane machine, and I do piers. I will not polyurethane or mud pump a residential slab. I do it on commercial, you know, like a warehouse, things like that. Driveways, patios, sidewalks, no problem. Polyurethane is great for all that. On a residential slab, you got sheetrock above it. As it moves up and down a little bit, your sheetrock's still going to be cracking. You haven't solved anything. Secondary issue, far too often, if you've got any type of plumbing leak at all, the polyurethane gets into the plumbing system. Now you end up digging everything up anyways. It is not worth the risk. And the third thing, I don't know how in the heck they're doing it for $7 a pound. I know what I pay for the material, and there is no way that you can do it right at that cost. So big flags coming up on that one. Personally, I, w I would not do that. And, uh, th you know, the biggest reason is it is going to still move. And, and you know, uh, let's, let's look at it a, li a little bit different way. Right now, it's been a wet year. In fact, this has been the fourth wettest start of a year in Texas. And the soils are, are hydrated. They're expanded. So the minute we start drying out, and we will start drying out this summer, it's going to move down right away. You didn't solve anything. But let's go vice versa. Let's say you wait until the end of a drought. So we have a nice two-year drought, and then you polyurethane and we start getting any type of moisture, it's going to heave it up. You're going to create more problems than you have right now when you polyurethane it. And then when it does come time, and it will, to put piers in in order to stabilize this foundation, the only thing you can do is pick it up higher than what the swell potential is. Now you've added more money in order to stabilize it permanently anyways. So you're better off to ju just hold off and do it right with piers when the time comes. You don't have to go through the slab. 
you can tunnel underneath the foundation. That's what I recommend all the time. And yes, it does cost more than going through the slab, but you got access to the plumbing, so that can be taken care of at the same time. The slab stays nice, tight, and solid, and you don't have to worry about moving out of the house and all that, you know, creating a dust mess inside the house. So a lot of benefits to doing it by tunneling. Now, I know you're contracted to get it done this week. If it was, in, in my opinion, you ought to hold off a little bit. Two inches, you know, you're right there where most people don't even feel the problem until it's an inch and a half. So it's not like you have an emergency to get this done. Chris in Dallas, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hey, Jim, I got a question for you. <clears throat> I'm looking to build a shed, a shed in the backyard of 12 by 16. Um, and I want to actually do it like a uh, concrete foundation. Okay. I'm trying to find out, do I need footings or any type of piers, or can I just put a regular 4-inch slab on there? No, you definitely have to put a beam around it because it's, it's going to be built no different than a house would be built. And so you definitely want to have footings around the perimeter. And 12 by 16, uh, truthfully, yes. I would probably have a cross beam in the middle of it as well. Uh, going across the, you know, the 16-foot length, that's a little bit longer than I would want to leave it. So I'd put one about 8 foot going across the 12-foot direction. Okay. Now, now, how deep would I have to go as far as the footing? 18 inches or? Yeah, it's not that you got to go real deep. I mean, really what you're trying to make it is where it's just a rigid foundation. If you go with just 4 inches, it's going to flex up and down just like a patio or driveway. And if it ever moved to the point where it needed leveling or something, it's not it's not able to be worked on. It would literally have to be torn torn apart and replace the concrete. So if you did an 18-inch beam, you're making something that's easily worked on and, and shouldn't have huge issues. Uh, what part of town is this in? It would be in Dallas. Yeah, what part of Dallas? Oak Cliff area. Okay. Uh, the, you got a real mix of soils in Oak Cliff. You got some of the black gumbo clay soils, but there's a lot of rock mixed in in that area. If you're down on That's the rock, yes. the rock. If if you dig down and set those beams on the rock, because a lot of times it's only a foot down, you're golden. You won't you won't have to worry about it. Okay, awesome. Now, as far as the rebar spacing, what do you recommend as far as the rebar spacing? Twelve inch centers, number three rebar on the mat. And in the beams, you may want to up that up to a uh, number four. Okay. Okay, man. Thank you so much. You bet. You have a good day. You hey, one, one last thing, Chris. Yes. Make sure, make sure you pull a permit on that. Ooh, even if, even if you're doing it yourself. Okay, we'll do it. Thanks for your advice. All right. Take care. I was not convinced with that, that he's going to pull a permit. And I'm going, to, I'm going to tell everybody this up front. You don't pull a permit on something like that. When the, If the city catches it, they can come out and say, we weren't able to check the rebar, the reinforcing and stuff. Take it out. And they are well within their legal rights to tell you, tear it down and rebuild it. Even though you're building it yourself, you're still required to pull permits on that type of uh, things that require inspections. TJ, how can I help you? Sir, uh, my phone or my uh, house is about four years old. 
Uh, I, it's a two-story, about 4,000 square feet. I have two furnaces in the attic. And I was wondering, I, I thought about having a duct clean because we seem to have a lot of dust, and my wife asked me about it. And an old house that we had years ago, you know, they had the trunk lines and the, those things, and I could see how they could go in there and clean those. But these ones are the corrugated and I was wondering, do they have a system that actually goes in there and can clean those, or is it, would it be a waste of time? What, what do you mean by corrugated? Um, oh, geez, they're tubes, and they're, okay. uh, you know, like you got flex uh, aluminum. Yeah. Yes, the flexible, correct. Yeah. You know, you've got to look and see what type it is, because a lot of those flex ducts have plastic inside. And if they start running those cleaning through, they start tearing that plastic up and exposing the inside to all the insulation that's in there. In that situation, no. But you, you mentioned this is a four-year-old house. It really right. shouldn't need duct cleaning yet. I, I didn't think so either. But once when I was in there while it was under construction, you know, it was over the winter months. It was closed up, and they were sanding all the drywall, and there was about probably 12 or 15 guys in there, and it just looked like it was snowing inside the yeah. house. And so that was the only thought that I had was maybe, you know, they turned that on, and through the uh, cold air returns, it sucked some of that stuff in there. Yeah, but the filter system should have taken care of that. Uh, if you're getting a lot of dust circulating, I would be more inclined, as, as I said in the last hour, I would be more inclined to have the ductwork checked for leaks first because it can be sucking air out of the attic. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's and, a good suggestion. And then, and then you can go into to looking, you know, if the duct needs cleaning. But here's how you can tell if the ducts need to be cleaned. Just remove one of the grills and literally reach up in there and take a look or reach up in there and touch the ball and see if there's loose dust. If there's not, you really don't need to be messing with cleaning. And 90% of the time, we don't need to be cleaning our ducts. Perfect. Thank you very much. I'll do exactly that, and uh, I appreciate your help. Thanks, sir. You bet. Take care. You know, in fact, a lot of times, if you're burning candles and things like that in the home, that puts off a lot of what looks like it's dust when it's actually just a fine soot. Uh, and that brings up the other point. It could be, if you're running a gas furnace, that it needs some adjustments. Unlikely, but it is a possibility. Because if it's not burning nice and clean, it can put out a soot as well. And it'll look like you're getting a lot of dust when, in, in essence, what you're really getting is, is just the soot from the, from the flames. Lynn, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Uh, I bought a house that had a area like a sun porch that was added after the original construction. Okay. And uh, it's a slab foundation. The whole house is slab, but in this area, apparently, they didn't put any rebar in. So now I have a crack, several cracks going through that area. And I was just going to try to maybe repair the cracks because one foundation company told me they couldn't, you know, raise it up. It would cause more damage. But then the back part of it is sinking of the house, like maybe two inches. Okay. And so it's just the addition part that you have this issue, right? Yes. Uh, 
the cracks that you're seeing, are they separating and or widening, or well, how big are they? Well, there's one that more or less goes perpendicular from the door to the wall, and I would say it's fairly big, almost to you know, like almost an inch, at least a half an inch. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely an indication it has no reinforcing in it. If that's the case, there really isn't a whole lot you can do with it. Are they still staying at on the same elevation, or is one side higher than the other? One side's higher than the other. Yeah. Now, um, I did get somebody who said they could, you know, not raise the back, but stabilize it, stabilize the back area. Yeah, don't don't even let them touch it. Uh, because when they start trying to do any type of peering there, if, say, the soils start to shrink when it, because everything is nice and wet right now, when we dry out and the soils start to shrink, the piers will be holding it, and it can crack and break in between the piers and just destroy what little bit of integrity you do have. So when you when you have one that has no steel in it, you, you just what you need to do is keep it moist around it so that that soil stays expanded to minimize any movement you have. You can put some epoxy in those cracks, and because of how wide they are, you'd have to they'd have to mix sand in with the epoxy, and that'll basically glue those pieces together. Then you could float that floor on top with some floor leveler. That in itself would buy you uh, several more years of use of that foundation and basically would make it look like you're in good shape again. You could even cap it if you have the space available with two inches of concrete. This is not a permanent fix. It's, it's not something that's going to make it like new again, but it buys you years of good use of it again. What about the part of the house that's sinking? On the addition part? Yes. If you start trying to take that out, you will destroy that foundation. Well, I wasn't going to try to take it out. I mean, it's a whole room. Right. I mean, I was going to repair the cracks and maybe use those carbon uh, steel, I think they're called steads, you know, that go across the cracks parallel. Right. But you, you're saying that you don't think that there's any way to stabilize the back part of the house. Not without uh, running a huge risk of destroying what little integrity you do have. Okay. And, and understand, I've been doing this since 1978. Right. Uh, on, the, on the foundations. And... I'm I'm am telling you up front you're going to have all kinds of guys who oh they you know they've been doing this for 2 years, 5 years, whatever and they're going to say oh yes, we can do that. You will regret the day you let them do that. So you're saying if they put piers just to stay not raise it up but underneath it. Yep. To not do that. Don't do that because again when the soils dry out and pull away from the concrete. And we're in a moist state right now. It will dry out. As it comes down, in between the piers is where the cracks are going to uh, happen. 
uh, because that there's nothing there to support in between the piers. You would be better off if you just want to stabilize it and keep it where it's at. If there's, you want to one keep a moisture system around it to keep the soils moist. Two, if there's any trees there that are taking moisture out, and fruit trees cause a lot of the foundation problems. Look at doing a root barrier. That will actually help introduce more moisture into the soils and keep the soils expanded. You're basically in a maintenance program instead of a repair program. Well, it's got glass in it, so it you can kind of see the bottom pane of the glass. Yep. It also, there's no trees, okay. but it has gravel around the outside. Should okay. it put back soil? No, you don't need to put soil back, but you can still introduce moisture even though there's gravel. Right. Okay, well, thank you. You bet, Lynn. Take care. And I got to tell you, I have dealt with these houses like this many, many times. In fact, if you go back into the 40s, they built what were called wartime houses. There's complete neighborhoods in parts of Texas uh, that have absolutely no steel in those foundations. And if you start trying to mess with them, you will destroy that concrete. As bad as they are, they have to be left alone. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.